1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. You know my favorite thing about today? Uh, my favorite thing about today has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with news of the day. Uh, well, very barely has something to do with news of the day. Today is officially the start of the summer. I think I heard Chuck Collins say that. No relation between him and I on uh, 25 on uh, news. Uh, it is officially the start as of 10 o'clock this morning. Um, most of us feel like that started a while ago. We haven't seen rain in what feels like forever. And uh, according to his weather report, there's no rain in the forecast till maybe Saturday or Sunday. I feel very bad for uh, farmers out there who are essentially thinking, like, what, what do I do? Does anybody rain dance? 309-340-4464. I'm really asking the question, 309-340-4464. Anybody out there rain dance? Anybody that's done it that feel like it works? Anybody that's done it that's pretty sure it definitely doesn't work? Anyone want to do Maybe we do that as a Craig Collins show thing. Maybe I get a bunch of farmers together on Friday and we rain dance before my show and just see what happens. Or maybe just guys from the VFW. I feel like me and a bunch of veterans I might be able to make this a thing. And then maybe we cause the rain or at least I get to take credit for it because, again, Chuck's forecast seems to think it's going to rain on Saturday. Uh, but that that's not going great. Uh, that's the thing that's not fun um, in the world of drought, in the world of um, all of our different agricultural challenges uh, that we're likely to face here in the state or just in general in the country because we're not necessarily alone in the drought. And then after that, the other thing I find interest in is the world of politics and the things that are happening. Look, um, before I even get into audio on this, um, I have to say that the most fascinating thing, in my opinion, to happen in the world of politics is the two-day interview between Trump and Brett Baer. And the reason why it's the most fascinating thing to happen, I will tell you the why, because people that just heard that, if you hate Fox or you hate Trump or you hate somebody, uh, you think that I'm being crazy and ridiculous, is all the things that CNN and MSNBC and everyone else has been obsessed with. The fact that Trump is the first president ever uh, to be indicted like this, former president ever to be indicted like this, ever to face charges like the ones he'll face in the federal case against him. Uh, the Manhattan case is a joke. And anyone that thinks I'm just being biased when I say that, come on, uh, actually look into it, actually pay attention to it. Uh, they're trying to charge Trump with felony crimes for uh, things that happened in his business as far as what's typically a misdemeanor crime. And they're not even really telling you what the other crime is he committed to turn it into a felony. Because even in New York, you can't just say something's a felony. You have to figure out a way to turn it into a felony. Uh, that's one of many issues uh, with what's going on in Manhattan. But the, the federal court case against Trump is quite a bit different. And if you want to focus on the reason it's politically unfair uh, to Trump, which I also think is obvious, I don't think that's a biased take, is that he's the only one facing these charges. Uh, the current president not facing any charges. Uh, the um, vice president, I, I say this every time I bring this up, uh, not facing charges, uh, even though he's on the same team as Trump, although it often feels like Trump is on a team all on his own, especially even during this conversation and back and forth. Um, but even more so in the fact that, you know, anyone else um, who's done other similar stuff, Hillary Clinton did try to um, well, actually successfully ignored a subpoena of her electronic records that she had that she shouldn't have because they were classified documents or top secret government documents she had on a private server. There's so many similarities that making an argument that this is not politically prosecuting Trump because he's Trump is way, way harder than making the argument I'm making right now that this is politically prosecuting Trump because he is Trump, because it is. Uh, but anyway, with all that around, all those surrounding aspects, the individual that is Donald Trump 
the former president, the the media personality, whatever you want to whatever you think is the thing that's the hallmark of him, because he's not a politician. I would just call him a president and a politician if that's all he was. The business guy who who cut his teeth in New York, uh, whether you hate him or like him for that, he's done two days of conversation he should not have done. He, he's done it because he's him, because he didn't care that he shouldn't do it. At one point in the conversation that aired last night on Fox, uh, Trump pointed to the people behind the camera. And as he was saying, there's people that said I shouldn't do this. I assume he's pointing to his own staff, his own team. Is he like, they're in the room watching me uh, do a thing that they all told me not to do. Uh, and it's for that reason, fascinating. It's the most interesting thing. And whether Trump is lying or telling the truth is something you and I should be smart enough to figure out. Uh, that's why we should be paying attention to it. That's why it's so so important to me. Uh, but the fact that he's even saying anything is something that you get in absolutely none of these situations with anyone else that's a career politician. Career politicians do not sit down for conversations this challenging when they have way less at stake. Uh, what's at stake for Trump is going to jail. Uh, what's at stake for most of the politicians is whether or not you'll vote for them again uh, the next campaign season. Uh, so that's why this is so fascinating. All right, I've, I've um, uh, you know, promoted it enough. I've, I've demonstrated, hopefully, to you the value of it enough. Uh, let's hear my favorite moment in the thing. And it's like a minute uh, plus of audio uh, where Trump calls Fox hostile to Fox as he's being interviewed by Brett Baer. And then both of them admit it's fair because um, Brett says it first and then Trump says it. Yes, it's fair, but it's certainly not friendly. It's certainly not a puff piece. And puff pieces are terrible. We don't want those. We want this. So you haven't made your definitive decision on the primary? No, I haven't. But I do say why. Would oh, by the way, I should I should give you a little bit of context. Um, he's talking about the, the lead into this is if he'll even show up and debate at primaries, because as Trump's about to say, he doesn't need to debate at those primaries. He's winning by so much against everyone else. And the other guy who's in office right now isn't going to debate anyone, uh, even if they say that they're running against him. So I think Trump is using the I've been the president already. I don't need to lower myself to debate. Because all it will do is hurt me and lift someone up that might be an actual challenger. He's right about that, too. Here we go. So you haven't made your definitive decision on the primary. No, I haven't. But I do say, why would I allow a hostile network, Fox? You know, pretty hostile. Why <laughs> would I allow? You get a fair shake. Okay. But, I mean, this is a fair interview, but it's hostile. It's on the hostile <laughs> side. I wouldn't say it's a puff piece, but that's okay. Hey, Brett, why would I allow a hostile network and then allow people that are polling at zero they're polling at zero many of these guys one of them is zero with an arrow left now i think that's a mistake in other words a zero that's less than zero <laughs> christie's like at one percent or less uh, many of them nikki haley's at two percent she hasn't caught on because everyone knows she's you know highly overrated you know i put nikki there because i like the governor the lieutenant governor of south carolina and Henry McMaster has turned out to be a great, great governor. That's why you put her in well, the position two. for the I U.N.? I got two for the price of one. I put her <laughs> over there. But much more important to me, because Henry McMaster was great, always great. By the way, he didn't have to say that. Uh, whether that's true or false, um, people will decide. If you love him, you probably think it's definitely true. If you hate him, you think it's definitely a lie. But he just he just went another road. It's like That's why I even gave Nikki Haley her job, and now she's running against me, as I liked somebody else, and I got a twofer. <laughs> But I love the fact that he said in the interview that is certainly not an easy interview. Uh, Brett Baer is absolutely, in my opinion, said it yesterday, say it again today, challenging uh, the former president in several ways that anyone on hard left leaning media would love to also challenge Trump. And then at other times, Brett Baer is accepting answers Trump provides uh, that left leaning media would never accept. 
um, would never um, uh, even nod their head and go, well, okay, part of that's true, uh, because that's also not the desire of the media outlet that is dead set on just destroying him. I don't think that Brett Baer went into this trying to destroy Trump. I, I truly don't. Uh, and I know people might have their own opinions of it. Um, and I think at times Trump has benefited himself, and at times he hasn't benefited himself. Although I, I will, I'll say one more thing. I guess messy start to the show because I just wanted to preach about a thing and I gave you very little of it, but I'll play more uh, throughout the show today, I promise. Uh, but there was something that was, it's two days old now. I played it yesterday, talked to Mark Strauss about it, uh, but I heard a CNN take on it that I have that I'll play as well um, as to why Trump saying that he didn't want to give his documents back to NARA uh, was not the same thing as admitting on television that he didn't want to follow a subpoena. Uh, NARA had asked for his documents before he got subpoenaed. And if you pay very close attention to the, that part of the interview that aired on Monday night, I think I talked about all day uh, Tuesday, um, all, all day uh, yesterday. Uh, the thing that's so interesting to me about it is you actually can hear him dis distinctly say NARA multiple times, which would protect him uh, in a courtroom from being accused of admitting to, um, you know, not following the subpoena. That was a different moment, a different request from a different government organization, not from uh, the organization that can only say, please, please, please. So fascinating to me. And CNN helped give me that take. Um, so anyone that says that Trump guaranteed he's going to jail, I don't think was listening close enough or not listening the way that, say, the legal system listens to this stuff. But it's been fascinating. I'll play more, as I said. A quick break, a lot more. Happy summer, as it's officially summer today. Uh, this is The Craig Collins Show on 1470, 100.3 WMBD. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's Craig Collins Show. Happy summer officially started today. I'll keep saying that because it feels hilarious that this is the first official day of summer when it's been ridiculously hot for a bunch of days and we haven't seen water in forever. Uh, at least water falling from the sky. I, I have it at my house. Uh, anyway, uh, some sillier stuff out there. I love this story. A nine-year-old in Minnesota uh, is going viral because his dad, his name is Peter, uh, apparently had an argument with him. And the dad then told everybody about the argument because the argument was awesome. So the little kid, again, nine years old, came up to his parents and goes, hey, guys, I notice you buy me gifts. You do it for my birthday. You do it for Christmas. You're throwing around your money and you're wasting it. This is a terrible decision. <laughs> it's really what the kid said, more or less. I'm paraphrasing a bit. He goes, I want you to just put all that away in a savings account for my future, for my college fund, so that when I go off to college and, you know, probably do that at 15, become the president as soon as I can in 30, uh, 35, 36 years old, uh, depending on what the election year is. Uh, I can't do that math quick enough right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, when I easily become the president in my late 30s, early 40s, I will thank you for uh, funding my college education and not buying me useless things like toys and whatnot. Uh, I love this. Uh, the kid, again, has got a very, very bright future. Uh, his mom called him the little tinkerer uh, who likes to, like, mess around and try to build stuff uh, and just doesn't want any more gifts, any more presents, any more anything. He wants his parents to put that money away uh, to use it for better things when he gets older. Uh, I never felt that way as a kid. Uh, most kids do not, of course, feel that way. And that is, again, amazing as far as a reaction to um, the things you get. Like, I, I got stuff I didn't want as a kid. You get some gifts you don't want. Anytime you get any kind of clothing. And you're not a teenager. I think most kids don't care. Um, and so putting all that money into a savings account for my college education, way, way better move, uh, according to him. Uh, just again, I probably would have just chosen to spend it on other toys. Um, all right. Other stuff out there that I like. A study found people who nap have bigger brains. 
Napping has an insane amount of benefits. Uh, just as a, a quick aside, uh, beyond this story, you can find study after study where if someone does what you used to do in like kindergarten, you bring the little blanket along and you do the nap halfway through, get it out of your cubby and then lay down on the ground, that that, if you did it your whole life, way better. Uh, the study looked at 35,000 people between the ages of 40 and 70 and found that there was a noticeably larger brain uh, for the nappers than the non-nappers. Our researchers looked at DNA samples and brain scans. Um, 15 minutes is long enough, by the way, in this study that was published uh, a few different places. Uh, you don't have to nap for a real long time. You just have to shut down a little bit. Um, the thing I'm referencing, which is kind of beyond this study, is anyone that does like a weird sleep schedule where you don't sleep eight hours all at once. You sleep like four hours once. And then the other time is like an hour and a half. Na it's not even a full eight hours combined. It's like five or six hours. But if you do a, um, a four-hour sleep and then a two-hour nap every day, it's supposed to be way, way, way more beneficial to you because it's probably the way that the cavemen did it. Now, I'm sure there's a study that disproves the thing I'm saying, but I'm sure that I saw a study that proves what I'm saying is true uh, because nobody uh, back in those days uh, used to sleep for eight hours at a time. You'd be eaten by a tiger. Uh, everything would be over very quickly there. So, again, maybe that's just the way our bodies uh, were conditioned and they're not being conditioned to do other stuff. Uh, but napping, tremendously value for you. Um, the the uh, uh, certain things that I guess um, – uh, tell me more about that texter who just texted something in uh, telling me what your nap is. Let me know what your nap is, uh, and I will uh, throw that out in the air. Uh, a couple other things. They said there's a certain thing that I think they pay attention to, which is when they fall asleep every day, and I want to make sure I understand what they're saying. Uh, so go ahead and give me one more text, 309. Uh, AI can now predict hit songs with 97% accuracy. Uh, robots are picking songs that they hear uh, a new AI um, uh, supposedly predicts whether a song will be a hit or not. And it's it's really, really great at that. Our researchers from Claremont Graduate University in California uh, say their new AI can predict whether a song is a hit. Um, and again, uh, it's probably just because it sounds very, very similar to every other song is a hit. Oh, no, the 309 said that they don't like the Mark Lee Van Camp and Robbins show. That's when they take a nap every single day. Uh, that is awful. Uh, don't say that. Uh, that's that's mean, sir. Uh, please. I love that show. That show is great. Uh, other things out there in the news, uh, real quick, other stuff that I thought was kind of interesting or just kind of silly. Uh, this one, $127,000 a year to take care of a billionaire's dog. That's a real job listing that's out there. If you treat your dog well, like royalty, this might be the job for you. An American billionaire put up a whole big listing. I think this is in the U.K. Uh, the actual title of the job is a dog nanny, but it's a six-figure salary, $127,000 a year, uh, just a, a crazy, crazy thing uh, that I don't know. I assume there's going to be a big competition for it. I assume our news director, Will Stevenson, would quit his job immediately and move to the U.K. <laughs> to watch to a dog. i for a higher salary, I 127000 not enough? And all the you push dog, further? All the dog biscuits I can handle. The family has two beloved dogs that require <laughs> top-tier tier care, is what it says. Oh, sure. And you have to behave like a valued member of the family, and then you can have that job. So what you're sleep. saying is your behavior is not a little rough? <laughs> exactly correct, sir. Thank yes. you. Yeah, now that's... That's something else, uh, man. Uh, you also will accompany them on trips, so both domestic oh, and international that's lovely. trips. Yeah, All so there's, the vacations I can handle. There's some travel involved. You'll have play dates with other dogs and find... Um, <laughs> Wait a minute. I will or the, or the dog will? I'm assuming the dog, but who knows? At $127,000, i will get down and I'll play. Yeah, I'll, you're right. I, <laughs> I can't argue with that. That's, that's the price for yeah. me to behave like I'm a dog uh, with other dogs. Uh, go to Camp Bow Wow and just go into the thing as a dog. That's fine. Uh, you'll also, one last thing, have 
to handle normal stuff uh, like feeding and bathing the dog. Of course, But if yeah. you can do all that, you get over $100,000 And a year. you have to go on the paper. And you got to go on the paper. All right. Uh, what do you got? What are you going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? Certainly not uh, dog sitting. <laughs> Not $120-something thousand a year for dogs? No, okay. no. I, you know what? That didn't come up in my oh, lineup today. I don't know how weird. that happened. Are you talking about how it's the beginning of summer? Is that in the, the news at all um, today? No, but it is the beginning of summer as of just before 10 this morning. Yeah, we got to change that, right? We have to like have... Do we? Yeah, because summer started a long time ago. For practically for anybody. <laughs> well, see, the thing of we it gotta is... we got to move to summer solstice. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> yeah, we can just do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm voting for it. Uh, I'm see, assuming the, we can. The problem with it is is that everybody says it's the longest day of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's it's correct. It's no longer than any other day of the year. Yeah. It's uh, just the most sunlight. That's true. The longest okay. amount of right. sunlight. Yeah, so we, it's we not, should... Okay. It's not going to be a 24-hour and 16-minute day, no. Then we can call it sunlight day as opposed to the start of the summer mm, because... Sunlight day sounds good. <laughs> that does I like sound that. nice. Yeah. That sounds very uplifting. <laughs> we All should right. have that, though, in, like, April after yeah. the winter. All right. Uh, you got... Yeah, Yeah, you got the news. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. As I said, the most fascinating thing to me that's happened in the last couple days has been a Trump sit-down with Fox News and the way in which Brett Baer has conducted uh, that conversation. But also, and this goes, um, this needs to be stated, uh, Trump's willingness to have this conversation. It's definitely not something that most people in the position Trump would be in, uh, even with the stakes being less than you could go to jail, uh, most politicians avoid uh, these kinds of topics, these kinds of discussions. Uh, Trump deserves every single bit of praise for being willing to go down these roads. All right, let's play this. Uh, this is two different portions of a four-minute clip that I can't play in its entirety. That's too much clip. Uh, not enough of me on the radio, I'm told, at least. Uh, but let's play the, the introduction to it, because uh, this is talking about a a specific stance that uh, former President Trump has on drugs, and he even talks about where he got this stance from that is controversial, that people talk about. Here we go. Law and order. You've said you'd be in favor of the death penalty for drug dealers. Yeah. Still the case? Yeah, it's the only way you're going to stop it. Look, we can be babies and we can have blue ribbon committees. I had my great first lady, beautiful wife, Melania, who says hello. She was in charge of a committee, a blue ribbon committee of socialites and various other people that want to be on a committee. <laughs> and they worked very hard and, by the way, had an impact. You know, we, Various other people that want to be on a committee is, is something that I'm definitely amused by. We brought it down 18 percent, but 18 percent is not 100 percent. When I was in China, I met with President Xi, 1.4 billion people. I said, do you have a drug problem? No, 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 no. I do not have a drug problem. I said, hmm, why do you say that is? Because we immediately give a quick trial and a death penalty to drug dealers. All right. So is that a hot take? Yes. Uh, is that something that we can see actually uh, happening here in the United States? I, I don't think so. I, I think there'd be too much back and forth. Uh, a very, very unlikely for even the judicial system itself to follow along. Uh, say a federal law was created where the death penalty existed for um, people who traffic drugs. Significant drug drug trafficking, I think, is actually uh, what Trump is after having uh, be something that would be punishable by the death penalty. Uh, states like Illinois would fight that tooth and nail. It would not be something that I think would easily be implemented if it even was a policy decision that actually came to fruition. So Trump talking about it is a little bit of of being extreme without the likelihood of action down the road ever being taken. Uh, But here was the catch-22 at that moment and the thing that's being reported by a lot of left-leaning media as a moment where Fox News defeated Trump. 
Uh, he then brings up a story about Alice Johnson, someone that he actually pardoned and freed from jail, who had gone for a very long time for a very minor offense in the world of marijuana. Uh, again, not the things I think Trump is actually envisioning potentially changing the penalty for. I think what he's thinking about is people who traffic like large quantities of fentanyl across our border. But here's a little bit of this. As an example, a woman who you know very well was in jail. She had 24 more years to serve. She served for 22 years. She had 20 Alice Johnson. Alice. She was in the Super Bowl. High quality. Oh, yeah. I said, how many years? And she was on a telephone call, and they were involved in selling marijuana, mostly marijuana. And she got, like, 50 years in jail. But she'd be killed under your plan. Huh? As a drug dealer. No, no, no. Under my... Oh, under that? Uh, it would depend on the severity. But it would depend on the severity. She's technically a former drug dealer. She, the, she had multi-million dollar cocaine ring. Any said, drug dealer... Look. So even it, Alice Johnson in that ad? It, she can't do it, okay? By the way, if that was there... No, she wouldn't be killed. It would start as of now so you wouldn't go to the no, know, but- by the way the audio clip ends with him saying um she wouldn't have done that if the penalty for the crime would have been death and i do have to agree with trump there that if the penalty were more severe the people who commit a very um you know basic forms of say uh, uh drug crimes uh, like in the case of alice johnson someone that trump thought deserved to be freed uh, they'd be unlikely to be as confident that the punishment fit the crime uh, but that sort of extreme level of punishment that is something that's very common in China is not something that I think a lot of the United States would actually think makes sense here. And I'm sure there's people that that do support it. Um, but again, uh, the degree, the severity, all that stuff that you talk about, that would all be fleshed out in a way that would take a long time. It was just interesting to me because Trump did stumble uh, at that moment when Brett Baer said to him, wait a minute, Alice Johnson, someone who you're bragging about freeing from jail, uh, wouldn't have been alive to be freed if the extreme version of your policy is the one that gets implemented. And he did struggle with yes, no, with severity, with all of that, because it's it's an idea that's a talking point, but it's not necessarily necessarily an idea, excuse me, that's fully fleshed out yet, even by Trump, I don't think. I think that would still be something that could worked on. Uh, but anyway, that, that was yet another moment in this conversation. I'm not trying to overly praise uh, Brett Baer, by the way, or Fox News. Anyone that doesn't like Fox anymore, I understand. Anyone that thinks that the tire, the firing of Tucker Carlson was your last day giving a crap what that station said, I understand. My whole point in diving so deep on this conversation is just how amazed I am that it exists, that it's out there, that it's in the world, and that Trump was willing to do it, I think, fully knew uh, what he was getting into. Uh, I don't think he was tricked into thinking it was going to be an easier conversation than it was. Uh, Trump has been very critical of Fox uh, for a while now, and Fox has been critical, or it seems like at least uh, somewhat um, willing to demonstrate a preference for DeSantis compared to Trump, uh, at least a lot of the shows do. Now, one other moment that I thought was interesting, and I, I thought this was interesting for one reason and one reason only, mainstream left-leaning liberal media refuses to accept that what Trump is about to say in this audio I'm going to play is in fact true. And I will explain why it's true, because you might even hear it and think it's not true. Uh, but Trump say Trump claims that he saved a lot of lives uh, during covid. And everyone thinks that Trump cost the United States a lot of people's lives. Uh, but the exact claim he's making is easily true for anyone that can listen without Trump derangement syndrome. Here we go. COVID. In your mind, did the covid vaccine work? 
It's a, such an interesting question, because not only that, I also did the Regenerons of the world, you know, the whole... Well, we did a tremendous job on that. Uh, but we had a wet vaccine. Now, you have different. You have different COVIDs. You had COVID-19, and then you have different Strange. COVIDs. But we had a, original was COVID-19, which was the roughest one. So I have a Democrat friend who's very smart. Hopefully he votes for me, but he's very smart. He said, I don't understand one thing about you. I watch your rallies. They're incredible. You talk about beating ISIS. You talk about taxes. You talk about uh, regulation. You talk about everything. But you never saw, said that, I've never heard you talk about how the incredible job you did with the vaccines. Because, as you know, I got them done in nine months, and it was supposed to take anywhere from five to 12 years. I broke their ass, okay? <laughs> and you know who doesn't like me too much? The FDA. Uh-huh. Because they were very bureaucratic, and I got it done. And he said, you may have saved in the world, throughout the world, 100 million people, and you never talk about it. I said, I really don't want to talk about it because as a Republican, it's not a great thing to talk about because for some reason, it's just not. Here's the reason it's not, by the way. Uh, the reason that the vaccine is not something that Republicans uh, tout or talk about. It's not just, and I've said this on my own show and I've seen it uh, in some of the studies recently, uh, the changed science, easily changed science or the actual real science uh, might be a better way to say it on the risks associated with getting vaccinated, especially for younger men. Uh, there are risks that exist uh, that a doctor worth his salt would tell you mean that deciding to get or not get vaccinated, if you had all that information and you're a guy in your 20s, uh, teenager, uh, whatever it is, there, there might not be as much benefit as there is risk uh, since both are, are pretty small. And that's, that's real. That's actual. Like, look that up yourself if you think I said a crazy bias, conspiracy theory, uh, whatever it is you want to accuse me of saying thing. It's real and out there. Uh, but the truth is anyone that thinks the vaccine uh, benefited us, uh, saved us, uh, helped in society. Um, they should be grateful to Trump for obliterating all of the red tape that did exist that would not have allowed the vaccine to reach the, the market as quickly as it did. The reason, though, that it's such a hot button issue for Republicans, I believe, is not just doubt as to whether or not the vaccine worked or, or was effective. It was being forced to take it. That was the big thing that changed everything that, that um, uh, caused people to retreat into their corners so severely that you talked about quite a bit more than just the mandate. And Trump goes on to say that he goes, I didn't mandate anything because that was the problem. The existence of the vaccine, not the problem. Anyone that returned to uh, society uh, after getting vaccinated has Trump to thank for believing that that was necessary. And anyone that was living their life um, completely sure they weren't going to get the vaccine and unsure why so many things were getting forced to be closed uh, does also uh, provide no blame to Trump uh, because Trump's not necessarily the reason that so many places stayed locked down for so long. And I heard Mark Lee Van Camp and Robbins talk about today how DeSantis has one unique win against Trump in opening Florida up sooner than Trump uh, advocated to open everything up in our country, although it's close. It, it was uh, sooner. Uh, but neither of those men ever wanted to mandate people to force them to do something like get a vaccine. And so I simply ask you this, anyone listening to the show, especially anyone that thinks I just had a crazy hot take uh, myself, whatever it is, if the vaccine was never mandated, if, if no one ever mandated it in any way, shape or form, no, no uh, company said that you get fired if you don't get one, I uh, know um, business, especially in places like New York, said you can't come in here unless you're vaccinated and prove it to us. Would you have cared that it got released out into the world? No. 
um, outside of maybe the excuse that stuff had to stay shut down until the vaccine was created. Uh, that's something that definitely makes people conservatives and liberal uh, split sides on easily uh, because it's also a simple freedom thing. Stuff shouldn't have been shut down. People should have been allowed to live their lives. Businesses should have been able to choose if they wanted to operate uh, no matter what. Uh, th- those are things that should have happened. Uh, but once the vaccine was created, anyone that would have chosen to get it is not someone that I think conservatives, and I just put that in air quotes, uh, but anyone that disliked the, the mandate stuff actually cared about. I don't think anyone cared. If you know somebody in your life that never got vaccinated, they don't care that much. They might feel you made the wrong decision. And if they love you and and are worried that you're at risk somehow, they might actually have preferred you didn't get the vaccine. But they weren't going to tell you what to do. Uh, Truly conservative people, uh, in my opinion, just believe in freedom of the decision that you get to make there. And if we were always given a decision from jump, if we were never mandated at all or forced to any of it, that wouldn't even be a political talking point. Trump would get praise for creating the vaccine as quickly as he did, cutting all the red tape, getting rid of all the obstacles, and he would get universal right and left praise because it would have been a choice and not a tool, uh, which is what people think it was, for the government to um, force you to do something. That's that's the problem. It's not that it, it existed, and this is how Trump should talk about it. Say, for anyone that wanted the vaccine, boom, I created it, I helped you. Anyone that didn't want the vaccine, I lost power before those mandates came into play. So I wasn't able to protect you from the mandates and things that the administration that wasn't me uh, chose to do. Some other stuff out there, um, some things that I thought were interesting today. First, I haven't talked about it uh, much, and I I should probably talk about it more. Uh, Maybe I'll dive deeper into it uh, in the next half hour. Uh, But this um, submersible that is just lost, and we don't know if we're going to find it from OceanGate and from the CEO. Uh, There's now audio popping up of people who talked about it and some of the limitations of um, the the craft that they're on. They keep calling it a submersible, which is, I guess, just a really tiny version of a sub. Uh, but it, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing you or I would want to be on. Uh, the video game controller uh, that seems to be a plug-in, like actually $20, $30 a video game controller uh, that controls it wouldn't make me feel uh, terribly secure. But then also there's audio like this uh, talking about how uh, portions of the sub are, quote, uh, jerry-rigged or set up in a almost like masking tape over the problem sort of way that would also be pretty scary. Inside, the sub has about as much room as a minivan. We only have one button. That's it. It should be like an elevator. You know, it shouldn't take a lot of skill. The Titan is the only five-person sub in the world that can reach titanic depths, 2.4 miles below the sea. And yet, I couldn't help noticing how many pieces of this sub seemed improvised. I got these from Camper World. We run the whole thing with this game controller. (laughs) Come on! It seems like this submersible has some elements of MacGyver-y jerry-riggedness. The pressure vessel is not macgyver at all because that's where we work with Boeing and NASA and the University of Washington. Everything else can fail. Your thrusters can go. Your lights can go. You're still going to be safe. Yeah, so i got to be honest. When that is an actual report that CBS did when talking about the thing that's now lost at sea, you got to assume that people are going to eventually have lawsuits, uh, that there's going to be uh, conversations about whether or not Uh, What happened here is something that happened because of the technology or lack thereof. Uh, Even the inability to find uh, the submersible um, craft right now uh, may be tied to the 
very, very low amount of, of things on that uh, craft that probably shouldn't have been built like that. And actually, there's even this interview, uh, and I might play it later on, um, with someone who had done the journey before, uh, done the entire trip and, and survived to, tell, to talk about it, uh, that called it a suicide mission, that said at some point someone uh, wasn't going to come back, and now uh, we're in a situation where there's a, a desperate search. And actually, I'll even say this, and we're going to have a guest on, Uh, a little bit after uh, the 4.30 news, so in about 40 minutes or so, uh, a Navy uh, friend of mine to talk a little bit more about how challenging of a search this even is. Uh, But I saw some experts that popped up on the the talking head stations, uh, other, you know, Navy guys, and they were saying that even that sound, the the knocking sound that was reported on, is not as as, um, easy of a, a, you know, thing that'll help them find the sub as you and I might think just because they heard a banging noise uh, doesn't mean they're going to be able to to find locate the sub uh, quickly uh, because of how likely it is that it's actually stuck at the bottom of the ocean uh, and that it's stuck in a way that would be incredibly hard to find it even as that knocking noise sort of echoes throughout the ocean so it's it's a unique thing because when I heard that they were hearing banging you think we're probably hours away from finding the thing and that has not been the case so far Uh, but there are a lot of organizations, a lot of different countries that are providing support that are trying to find this craft together. Um, so it's it's something, and they're they're hoping that they do it. And if anybody gets an update before me, uh, please let me let me know. But as na- as of right now, it's less than 20 hours of of breathable air, and still uh, no location uh, for the sub, even though there's been banging noises and other things. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, after the break, I will continue to talk about some of the bigger uh, news stories of the day. Shockingly. Uh, Not every single one of them has to do with Trump. Uh, DeSantis is in the news. There's other political things to discuss. And then also I thought uh, an interesting story out there involved a dentist uh, telling someone to stop vaping and the reaction to being told to stop vaping. uh, It's it's pretty interesting, um, but that person doesn't really care if the cost of vaping is something that probably would be too high of a cost for a lot of the rest of us. But that's coming up in just a bit. Uh, First, you can hear us on 1470. That's an AM on 100.3, that's an FM all over the Internet, WMBDRadio.com and the WMBD Radio app. And get the app. Uh, the app is an easier way to listen to the show uh, than finding it on any of those other. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. Lots and lots of things. Uh, let's play this audio, though, because this audio is something. Uh, a politician actually said the words earmuffs for your kids, which I have also said on the show at times before I dive into something uh, more salacious in nature. Um, before he said some things, this is during uh, the Durham report. Uh, John Durham, uh, the guy who wrote the report, actually testified today, defended his report uh, to Democrats that wanted to grill him on stuff. Uh, this is not one of those moments. Uh, this is a moment that's uh, uniquely different, uh, uniquely interesting. Here, I'm going to hit play first. I'm going to let this go, and then I'll, I'll have reactions after the fact. But I, I couldn't I couldn't help. I had to play this um, after all the things that were said here. Here we go. On page, of your 50, page 15 of your report, it says that in the summer and fall of 2016, Dolan and Denchenko traveled to Moscow in connection with a business conference. The business conference was held at the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow, which, according to the Steele reports, was allegedly the site of salacious sexual conduct on the part of Trump. Parents, if you're watching, earmuffs <laughs> for your kids now, folks. Put earmuffs yes, for your children. Yes, please. Listen Mr. to him. Mr. Durham, was this salacious sexual conduct? What is that? Um, the allegation was that... Um... Okay, don't, don't answer it. I will. <laughs> okay. Think about this, America. In the game of politics, it gets dirty and nasty. 
and the people will say anything to beat their opponent. But yeah. this is the government doing it. Yeah. Even the director of the FBI, Comey, said it's possible Trump was with hookers peeing on each other. Christopher Steele said an infamous Trump pee tape probably exists. Oh Alleged pee tape incident was the only sex oh Trump party in Russia. You want to irritate the suburban mom at home? Five months before an election, tell them the Republican leading candidate is peeing on prostitutes. We are aware of the member of this committee having an alleged <laughs> affair with a Chinese spy. I oh. refer to as Yum Yum. But this is a oh. new law for anyone. And I would hope Mr. Swalwell would agree with me. Oh, my. Oh, my. The rant that is that is something else. Um, yes, uh, the Durham report uh, proved a lot of things were uh, political fabrication and not real. Uh, one of those things that was not real was the thing he just referenced there that I'm not going to talk about the way that uh, the politician, in fact, uh, discusses that. That is Congressman Troy uh, Niels, by the way. Uh, just really, really interesting, though, uh, because Democrats are going after Durham for a report he put out that made the FBI look bad. Uh, that made Trump look very innocent of any sort of Russia, Russia, Russia uh, version of an investigation and seemed to demonstrate easily that that was a political creation, political prosecution, political whatever you want to call it. I guess he didn't actually uh, get charged with anything uh, for the entirety of that investigation because uh, they wanted to take down Trump. And so this is one of the many reasons, by the way, as Durham uh, shows up and, and defends his report today, that people can actually ignore Trump getting indicted. Um, I, I will say that, that the sentence former president gets indicted would mean more in our society today if that politician was not Trump and if Trump hadn't gone through all the things he went through in the years he was in office, uh, none of which actually wound up getting him in any of the trouble that mainstream media and politicians on the left said he was going to be in trouble for, uh, things that were uh, laid out there among them, uh, just really, really interesting. Another thing I wanted to play, and this is not – specific to Trump and, and the Brett Baer conversation, which I do think is a gigantic um, um, news, and I'll get back to it a, a little bit later on today. Uh, but Tom Elliott is the name of a guy uh, that you should follow on Twitter. Uh, Tom Elliott uh, is behind Grabian, which is a, a website that you can pull clips from television off of, and it's used in a lot of media places. Uh, but he just makes these supercuts himself and demonstrates the hypocrisy that exists sometimes. And granted, he's conservative, I would imagine, in his leanings. He's also not a Trump fan as I've noticed in some of the things he's put out there. Uh, but some of these supercuts are just incredible. And the most recent one uh, that is just so good I had to play it that was uh, put out today is a um, doctor who's used often on MSNBC and CNN on the left uh, to talk about whatever it is, it seems, that they're talking about at the time. His name is Dr. Peter uh, Hotez. And what is really fascinating, and I have to point this out before I play this audio, is that it's a, a jump back and forth in time. So there are moments where Hotez is saying things like the vaccine that was being created by Trump, where he was trailblazing through every single um, barrier that existed and getting that vaccine onto the market in, in something like nine months when it should have taken years is something the left was saying was, was scary. Uh, you remember uh, uh, the current vice president, uh, Harris, said things about how the vaccine shouldn't be taken uh, by people well before it was actually out and available. And she was in office and told everybody to take it uh, because it was likely to be dangerous because of how quickly they were creating it. There's audio of uh, Hotez, Dr. Hotez saying this to uh, the camera on television uh, multiple times. And I'll play it as part of this. And then fast forward a year later. When uh, the Biden administration is in office and the vaccine is available and telling us we better take it, we have to take it. And if you don't take it, well, you're uh, a horrible, terrible person, uh, more or less. Uh, when, again, the honesty of one moment 
is profoundly changed to the dishonesty of a different moment. And what I mean by that is the science was not done. We didn't have all the studies, all the information, all the valuable pieces to know uh, about the vaccine when it hit the market, which is something that the left was willing to admit up until a point and then stopped admitting. And that's why information is still coming out now. And whether or not you're paying attention to it anymore, care about it anymore, accuse me of being an anti-vaxxer from jump when I got three of the vaccines uh, before eventually seeing the science that was being uh, published and now not being hidden by places like Twitter uh, that was being talked about then. Uh, accuse me of being whatever you want to be. There was a, a profound change in the message being provided by even this medical professional. And that's what the whole supercut is. Here we go. I think the current record for developing a vaccine from start to licensure in the United States is around three or four years. Usually a 10 to 25 year time frame. People forget how long it really takes to develop uh, an effective and safe vaccine and do all the adequate clinical testing. Look at the timelines of coronavirus this COVID-19 vaccines, it really follows the same progression as almost any other vaccine. By the way, those first two clips were from the past when they were doubting the vaccine. This one is from after Biden is in office and they're saying the vaccine has been perfectly tested. And the vaccine development cycle for COVID-19 vaccines very much goes along with what we've seen before. Remember the reason why these protests are happening in the first place is to protest structural racism. COVID-19 is decimating African-American communities, and that is actually, in, in my opinion, actually a component of the protests. I think it's important our public health leaders speak out on this as well. We simply cannot be holding rallies. Hard to imagine a scenario <laughs> where you would have any meaning. By the way, I love the fact that he talks about the protests and the value of them, and then it jumps to the, the Trump rally, and he says we can't be holding rallies as a doctor who's being asked for his professional medical opinion of things. Full data in order to release a vaccine, certainly not under a license, but even under this emergency use authorization, which I don't even know what that means. A new name now, Brian. It's the OG villain. I'm the original gangster villain. Call me the original gangster villain, the OG villain. Call me the OG villain, the original gangster villain. Okay. I, I still remember the time when a school teacher died when I was a kid in the school. I mean, that was very traumatic. And that will happen over and over again. So you're saying we don't need to open schools up at all at this point? That's right. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's really important not to diminish the, the accomplishments of the Biden administration. Clearly <laughs> having. OK, guys, stop. I'm playing way too much of that. But it's fascinating to me that there is so much disagreement in the positions that this doctor had about certain things based on the politics alone and that you can super cut together a six and a half minute video. If I played the entire thing for you, that's six and a half minutes of him easily one year later uh, saying all the reverse things. If we learned anything uh, during COVID as a society, and I think um, we learned a lot of things actually during COVID as a society, it's um, via stuff like this, too, that people like Tom create. It's outing all those who gave whatever information they were told to give. I uh, did not give the information that they knew they should have been giving. Even Dr. Deborah Burks, uh, who put out her book, admitted that they oversold things about the value of the vaccine to get people to vaccinate themselves like uh, that it would make you not transmit the virus to other people or that wearing masks had certain value that they didn't have. Even Fauci has admitted about the mask thing now, uh, how much less significant it was than he said before. And they were just doing it because they thought 
for whatever. And I'm sure there's a lot of answers to why they were doing it uh, for you, the listener. Uh, but they just thought that at the time uh, that was what they're supposed to be saying. And then when it becomes untrue later, ah, who cares? Uh, that part's already over. It doesn't matter. But this is this is an excellent outing of this specific doctor who I saw on TV just yesterday, continuing to give an expert opinion uh, to left leaning media uh, that is currently aligned with the left. Yes, it's called lying. Thank you, Texter. It is, in fact, lying. Um, however, I, I differ from some. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I think it's it's arrogance as opposed to just lying, because I think anyone that provided the narrative that wound up being proven untrue um, may have believed that they were just going to be right later on. And that's why they said what they did. So it's it's a unique form of lying because it actually comes from a place, I think, of, of arrogance. And when you get proven wrong later, uh, the only person who's failed to admit any version other than this guy, I don't think he's ever admitted that he had different takes on stuff, but it is Dr. Fauci. Uh, Dr. Fauci has not in any conversation ever really said uh, that he was wrong about some of the the biggest objections uh, that people had to him. And just, again, I want to I uh, reference one other thing in that audio that's tremendously important. Uh, in early 2020, when the Trump administration is in office and they're first starting to talk about um, going through every single piece of red tape and getting rid of it all so that the vaccine could hit the market way sooner than it's supposed to. Uh, people exactly like that doctor said that vaccines don't hit the market that quickly because of the years of testing necessary. And so essentially, because this vaccine, our, the vaccine we all took, was so widely spread and used, we were essentially guinea pigs. And the studies and the information about the efficacy of the vaccine and the risks of it uh, came from the population of the world uh, taking it, not from the three to five to ten years of study that even that doctor says is supposed to happen uh, before a vaccine is truly cleared and safe. So we are still, I guess, in some ways, the guinea pigs uh, to those things. Uh, well, I am. And, and whoever else is listening to the show that took the vaccine is. And I pray for the best, of course. Uh, quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Um, there's a park department, Albuquerque, that's going to be putting up, or I think already has built, two massive playground slides. They're going to be opening it. Uh, it could break some records. I have some audio about it. There's a reason I want to talk about this topic, by the way. Uh, but first, I want to play this audio about how proud uh, some are. I think this is a Parks and Recs uh, person. Uh, his name is Dave Simmons in Albuquerque, a director, um, about this brand-new, record-breaking, uh, ridiculous uh, version of a playground because the slides, again, are gigantic. We wanted to use Mother Nature here. We wanted to use the features that the land was offering to us here at this site. I'm really a little bit more concerned about adults behaving badly <laughs> at this park and at this slide once we open it. By yeah. the time the leaves start falling, we'll oh, be yeah. descending the slide. will be awesome. It'll be open. Uh, the reason that I, I found so much um, joy in this topic today and sort of the, the viral uh, question being asked by some about whether or not this is dumb uh, to open a, a big giant slide anywhere uh, that, again, as even the director himself says, maybe uh, adults might use improperly, is I used to, we used to drive between uh, South Bend, Indiana, New Jersey when I was a kid. Uh, it's something we used to do a lot. We had family when we were living in one place. Uh, we had family in the other place and vice versa. Um, so we, we'd made that drive many times. And there was this giant slide at an Arby's uh, somewhere in Ohio. And my mom always knew where and none of the rest of us knew where because the kids and didn't pay attention and nobody had GPS then. But I remember how excited I got for the slide in Ohio at the Arby's 
compared to even going on the rest of the vacation to either of the two places we were traveling. I saw my first Notre Dame game in South Bend as a kid uh, on one of those vacations, uh, which was really cool. I remember going to the beach a bunch in Jersey when eventually we were driving back there uh, for some things. But it, it was just amazing again because a highlight of the trip was always the ridiculous slide. And I remember one of the jokes my mom would always make is she'd pull the um, van in with all four of her kids bursting out of the door, running toward the slide, is it's probably not safe. (laughs) Something to that effect. Like, it's probably not safe how big that slide is because we were the only kids out there sometimes. It wasn't like it was was, um, everybody else because it it seemed, again, be a play place at a, a restaurant, at a fast food restaurant that somebody built two nuts Uh, But we loved it, and no one ever got hurt, and it was amazing. But I just vividly remember the giant slide and wanting to go to the Arby's to be at the giant slide. Uh, So good luck to everybody. I'm sure that's fun. I wonder if they're ever going to take the slide down or if ever – actually, the one in in Ohio is still there. I wonder if that one's still there, if it eventually got taken down too um, because, well, someone could easily get hurt. You could see it happening, and ours was not record-breaking. And maybe even as a kid, I'm remembering it as bigger than it was. Maybe it wasn't as giant as as I think. Uh, Anyway, some other things out there. Uh, New college grads need training on how to write an email and how to make appropriate eye contact. Uh, That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, They just did a story about how clueless some recent young people are in those very, very basic uh, things that happen in the workplace. Um, It's not a good look. It's not a good look at all uh, that you go to school and you learn some other things about the you know, profession, whatever it is you're looking into. And then you show up and you're like, man, how do I look people in the eyes? How do I do that? Um, Because you don't trust anybody. If they can't make eye contact with you, I don't usually assume that they're just shy. If someone is talking to me and can't make any form of eye contact, I assume everything everything they're saying is crap. Uh, None of the things they're saying have any level of truth to them whatsoever. So that's a problem. Uh, Other things that college kids who are just entering the workplace say they need help with is how to make small talk, how to have uh, chit chat, even on the elevator on the way up to work with colleagues that you might not work closely with, how to dress for work. Uh, Apparently, many young people wear inappropriate clothing uh, to work early on. That feels like that's not new. Uh, And again, how to write both an email and how to have uh, different subject lines and other things to them. Uh, You would think that if you went to college for years uh, to be educated, to be good at whatever your profession is, uh, when you got out, that there'd at least be like one class, if it was even necessary, uh, that did things like basic functioning of your day-to-day life while in an office place, while around other humans, uh, that would feel like a a necessary component uh, to anything else. All right, Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, Will will do the news. Now, after the news, I'll continue to play some audio. I have a great question uh, that an AP writer uh, asked to Merrick Garland and then a not-so-great answer uh, from Merrick Garland to play in a little bit. I have some more audio as I keep uh, playing of Brett Baer and Trump. And then also I do want to dive into a, a story about the number of teens. This is not uplifting. This is not fun. This is certainly sad, uh, who recently answered in a survey that they don't enjoy life. And these are teenagers. These are these are kids still, um, you know, not even young professionals. A lot of them, I think it was uh, in eighth grade, 10th grade and 12th grade. Uh, so it's getting all the way up to like 18 years old. And the amount of people who say I do not enjoy life anymore has profoundly uh, jumped upward. So it is it is uh, horrible. And there's some reasons why they're saying it. Some of the basic stuff I talk about, like social media is in there. Uh, but there's some other guesses, too. Uh, we'll dive deeper into that from the University of Michigan in just a bit. 
1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. My buddy, uh, quartermaster at the VFW in Peoria Heights uh, with great tacos and other things there. Uh, last night was Taco Tuesday. Uh, Eric Thurman joins the program. Also a, a Navy veteran uh, who served on two different subs. Uh, yes, Eric? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Uh, what were the names of the two uh, submarines you served on? So the first one was the USS Glenard P. Lipscomb, SSN-685. And the second one was a warboat, uh, USS Louisville, SSN-724. Okay. And then you worked uh, as a radio operator, so communication was of the utmost importance to you. That was your role uh, within the military on submarines. Um, so that's kind of where I start as far as questions to ask you. Um, since yeah. it seems that there's almost no way for this submersible, this thing called the Titan that's been lost at sea right now, to communicate with us other than potentially uh, some knocking that might have been uh, purposeful Morse code, uh, but they're, they're still not even sure. I think even um, some have now denied that they heard knocking in the first place uh, from those that are searching for it. Uh, but are you surprised at the lack of ability to communicate for this very tiny craft? Uh, not at all. Um, but they're being so small, there's not as much equipment they could put on, on board that craft. Um, so their, their next result is, is being on the pipes during the uh, sound waves travel much further in water than what they do on land. So when you heard so every time, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was I was going to say when you heard that there were noises that were were being detected, did that make you feel like it was a way more likely uh, that we would locate the sub in time to save people? There's only about like 20 hours of breathable oxygen uh, left, and I've seen all different kinds of uh, expert opinions on this. Did did you have a lot of hope uh, when you heard that they were detecting sounds? Well, there's always hope uh, when you hear noise like that. However, the the time is against them at this point because. Right now, they're down to the time just to locate them, and then the time it's going to take to actually grab them and bring them back up to the surface. Gotcha. That's where we're going to lose time, I believe. Gotcha. So I read this, too, as far as extreme tourism goes. And as a guy that served on actual Navy ships um, that obviously had quite a bit more technology or capability than these extreme <laughs> tourism uh, things do, uh, inherent danger is one of the, the biggest components to anyone that says, no, nah, yeah, I'll go check out the Titanic on a five-person craft that has a literal video game controller as the thing controlling its movement. Uh, is this <laughs> is this the kind of thing that you hear about and just start to cringe about, uh, that people pay a lot of money and get in um, um, you know, stuff like this and try to do uh, something they probably shouldn't be doing? In, um, yeah, I would, I would cringe a lot at this thing because, I mean, you, you look at it th at this way. Uh, there's nothing, no guidelines for making that craft as safe as possible, whereas the military submarines have a program called SubSafe. Uh, which everything has to be checked, double-checked, and there's always a backup system to every little deal. I know he had some, a few different safety devices on this craft, but how it was, you know, quality control, you know, uh, tested and things like that, that's yeah. what – and that's what to keep me off of it. Well, and actually, there's even the story about a former um, a director of marine operations that worked for OceanGate, which is the company that actually uh, puts these trips on, that in July of 2018 uh, got fired and then sued the company because of a report he wrote about how um, unreliable uh, these crafts would be at extreme depths, how they're not uh, things that you should be in, and they were inherently dangerous. Uh, that guy gets fired, uh, and then we fast forward to now, and we're on the search for uh, five people inside one of these things. Uh, is there anything else in your professional uh, opinion about this kind of thing uh, that you think will be a key to locating the sub? You think we'll find it at some point, uh, right, whether we, we save the people or not, uh, which is the scary part, which is what we're talking about now. Uh, there isn't a likelihood that this would just be gone forever. No, I, I think they'll find it, you know, at some point. Um, 
in, in order to get a good location quickly, they'd have to triangulate um, the sounds that are being made now mm. um, and then focus on that. But with, with only one, maybe one ship picking up the sound, it's going to be difficult because of the distance that the sound travels. Yeah. Uh, and you did also say something so, about the way in which they're they're doing that. So they're dropping these buoys that transmit sonar um, and search sort of the surface to the bottom. Uh, can you explain a little yeah. bit more how that kind of works? Yeah, what I've what I've heard in the news is they're using the P three Orion's, which is a military aircraft that has uh, anti submarine uh, warfare capabilities, and they have these what they call sono buoys, and they drop from the aircraft and they plunge into the water, and from there it drops a hydrophone inside the water to at whatever depth they preset it for, and then it transmits all that that image is based on sound back to the aircraft, so it paints a digital picture of what's underwater. How, and that's how they're searching for different, uh, you know, abnormalities than what how, they're looking for. How big of a picture, like how how much of of an area can they kind of search, um, depending on how much equipment they have? Is it still a pretty limited amount of of um, space that they'll be looking at? And uh, I guess even more so, how much of a a area do you think is going to be necessary to search at this point with yeah, us? I'm not, yeah. yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the area of coverage are with the, with those sonar buoys. Sure, I know that they got a fairly decent sized range because that's what they use to find submarines. Gotcha. Um, and, you have, and you have to make noise a little bit to uh, for them to hear it because that's all they're doing is they're listening. Yeah. And it's doing more passive sonar than anything. Well, whereas I... the uh, surface ships are doing active sonar, pinging looking for a reflection from the sound. Gotcha. I did also see one report uh, talking about discovering the Titanic in the first place, which was tremendously hard. And obviously the Titanic is a much bigger um, craft than what they're looking for now. And that's the thing that they were trying to tour. Um, But actually because of some developments in technology, uh, the true search for the Titanic only took four days from when they utilized the newest form of of sonar or something uh, to locate it. So uh, is that something that you're familiar with at all? Any of the developments in the world of technology over the last however many years to give us a better understanding of what's under the water uh, compared to what it was, say, in the past when it was much, much harder uh, to figure these things out? Well, yeah, with the, with the sonar and the advanced uh, electronic equipment that the government has really uh, worked on, especially with submarine warfare, um, you're going to get a lot better um, capabilities as far as locating something. Yeah. Um, for instance, my submarines that we, we were on, uh, we were hunter-killers. So we would go hunting for submarines using sonar, passive sonar, and we tried chasing other submarines. So the, be- the, more, the more advanced technology we got with the sonar, sure. the better and effective we were at chasing what our operations were supposed to be for. Gotcha. Likewise, for looking for things, same thing. So do you think uh, at the end of all this, this is the type of story that stops people from continuing to go on trips like this or no? It might get some people to think twice about going on just due to the Good. fact that the risk is there. Yes. Yeah, the risk is definitely there. Well, thank you so much, man, for helping to explain all this to me. Um, obviously, both of us are praying for them to, to save the people on board. Although, as you point out, as someone with an expert uh, opinion on the world of submarines, uh, at this point, we're all thinking about it like 20 hours of breathable air. And yet getting the sub all the way to the surface and then opening it. I heard that it's it's bolted shut with like 17 bolts. Opening it is not a, a quick like you push a button and, and open it up kind of thing. It's, it's more no. challenging than that. Yeah. Well, and they were also talking about the 20, 20 hours left of, of breathing. Now, that's under normal conditions. Now, if you start panicking, people use up more air. So that air could be even less now than what was projected. So wow. that's something else people have to keep in mind as well. Well, thank you very much, Eric, the quartermaster at the VFW in Peoria Heights, uh, for giving us some more information about this. I look forward to seeing you again soon, bud. 
Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, talk to you later. Quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I'm going to admit to you, I'm a little bit distracted. I'm getting some text messages from the wife who's traveling back from Mexico uh, to the United States today. Uh, she's supposed to be at the Peoria Airport by like 11 o'clock tonight, and that's when I'm going to pick her up. Um, which is what's supposed to happen. Uh, but I guess they got diverted their plane. It was flying into Dallas and they hit too much turbulence and the weather was too bad. So they landed in Austin. And now she's just texting me. She's like, I'm sitting in a, in a plane in the airport in Austin, hoping to take back off and go to Dallas to make my connecting flight. Otherwise stuff gets messy. I don't know what I do. Do I hop in a car and just drive there? Uh, pick her up, bring her back, uh, do the show from the road tomorrow. We'll figure it out. Uh, but getting a lot of texts from the missus about what's going on there. I'll, I'll keep you updated on that if you care. Uh, in a little bit. Uh, let's do some of the, the news things uh, that I skipped in the last segment. Thank you again to Eric from the uh, VFW in Peoria Heights uh, for helping out uh, and giving me some more information about what's going on in the world of that submersible uh, that's missing. Uh, this I thought was interesting. This is a question by the Associated Press, uh, which certainly would not be accused of leaning to the right. And this question was thrown uh, toward, Mer or, uh, yes, toward Merrick Garland uh, about whether or not what happened with um, Hunter Biden is a sweetheart plea deal. And what's going on with uh, Donald Trump is anything but. And I'm glad that the question was asked. I'm glad that it was asked by a publication that's not going to be accused of being to the right. And then the answer that Merrick Garland gave is hilarious. And I'll tell you why. Uh, but here we go. I'm here for the Associated Press. If I can drift off topic um, for a second, I have a question for Attorney General Garland about the deal that President Biden's son uh, made with the Justice Department uh, under which he's pleading guilty to some charges and will likely avoid jail time. Some Republicans say he's being treated more leniently than he should have um, and compare and contrast the case to that of former President Trump, uh, who has been criminally indicted. Uh, do these cases reflect a different standard of justice depending on political leanings? So, as I said, uh, from the moment of my um, appointment as Attorney General, I would leave this matter in the hands of the United States attorney who was appointed by the previous president and assigned to this matter by the previous administration that he would be given full authority to decide the matter as he decided was appropriate. Um, and uh, that's what he's done. And if you have any further questions about that matter, you should direct him to the U.S. attorney uh, to explain his decision. Here's the thing, uh, as what I will say in response to that is, have you ever worked at a company that got bought and then other people took over and you're still there? I've, ha I've had this happen multiple times. And like one of the companies you worked for, the one that they used to be the owners, told you how to, how to do things a certain way. And then the other people take over and they tell you how to do things very differently. I am not surprised uh, that first and foremost, uh, Merrick Garland may have involved himself more than he's letting on. Uh, into the indictment of Trump and the um, federal case against him, uh, but also in the world of Hunter Biden and what Merrick Garland is probably not letting on there uh, that is definitely true is ways in which you kind of pressure or potentially pressure those uh, who work for uh, you now and work for people now that would like to see this go away as opposed to see this um, be something that's seriously handled and handled quite a bit differently. So I love the fact he said, it's not me. I'm not involved. I don't know. I barely even pay attention. Is that a thing that's happening? Who knew? Um, but I'm, I'm just leaving it to the other people, uh, people that were appointed by the other team, uh, not by us, to handle it however they see fit. And I'm barely checking it at all. Uh, I doubt that that is what's actually true. And even more so, 
Um, again, if you've ever worked at a company where the owners changed, where people switched over, uh, you know that all of a sudden you do something quite a bit different. Uh, one other thing I thought was interesting out there and I wanted to dive uh, deeper into. It's certainly not a fun topic. It's a, a serious topic, uh, to say uh, the least. Um, but there's yet another study uh, that shows that the mental health issues facing young people are at an all-time high, that they're they're not good. They're very bad. Um, the answer that scared people the most in this study is, I do not enjoy life, yes or no. Up until about 2015, 2014, uh, the amount of people who said yes to that was uh, below 25% of young people. And again, these are ages about 8th grade to 12th grade, uh, so young teens to 18 years old. Uh, now the amount of people that say, I do not enjoy life, the most simplistic of questions you could say uh, that has you know uh, a lot of profound impact on on um, uh, whether or not you're depressed is, is about 50%, 48.9% of people in that age group say they do not enjoy uh, being alive. And I, I don't know, I feel like it's just important to continue to bring up these topics to discuss uh, the significance of the problem that exists in the world of, of mental health and things like social media and how so many young people, if you know anyone in that age group, eighth grade to 12th grade, the likelihood that a majority of what they think is important is somehow shared on their cell phones, their technology, uh, whether it's videos they're sending each other that are somehow uh, school things. Um, I, I have a nephew who I saw somewhat recently uh, that sort of bragged to me about all the fights that he had on his phone that were recorded fights that happened in the school he goes to. And I was like, that's that's weird. That's a weird thing to be um, um, a true product of today and not something that I dealt with as a kid, um, you know, the amount of fighting being in and of itself a thing, but also those fights lasting forever. Whoever lost the fight, whatever it is, um, being, you know, punchlines and jokes for all the other kids in school. Uh, but even more so than that, just everything about this and all the different uh, impacts that are, are being had by kids um, in a world that's so uniquely technologically first and not necessarily regular life people staring you in the face first is is um, scary. Uh, but it's it's called the new Great Depression as far as the rise of social media and then also um, young people that are saying pretty scary answers to questions. I can't do anything right was another question that kids have been asked since the 90s. Uh, in the 90s, it was something like 20 to 30 percent of kids who'd say yes to that. That's now at about 50, 49.5 percent. And then finally, my life is not useful is a question that kids were getting asked. And in about 2015, again, significant uptick with that. That now sits at 44.2% of the 50,000 students uh, that the University of Michigan pulled and asked that question to. So we, we are in a uniquely scary time uh, in the world of the, the mental health of, of young people. And I think it's very easy for a lot of uh, people, myself included, uh, to pinpoint so much of that on the influence and the involvement of technology and, and other things like social media on the lives of, of kids. Uh, one other quick thing, and this is certainly a much less uh, serious thing to, to end the segment. I'll call it a palate cleanser uh, if we want to, and then we'll get to the top five stories of the day. The top five at five is what I do every day right after the five o'clock news. Uh, but a $1 million shoots and ladders playground in Pennsylvania is being developed as well. I talked earlier about uh, something else out there in the world uh, that people are very uh, proud of, but this is uh, well beyond just like slides and other things. This is a giant, giant playground uh, that some people have uh, strong takes, negative and positive on. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to me uh, that there is so much um, 
I'll just say this. You know what? Uh, and this is a somewhat tongue in cheek uh, version of a response to just the, the seriousness of the issue of mental health uh, and kids. I loved going to Cedar Point as a little kid. Cedar Point is also in Ohio. It's a giant um, uh, theme park, amusement park, a bunch of roller coasters. Uh, if you want to have a fun experience and you don't want to be on dangerous things like slides and stuff uh, that are just at a playground and might not be uh, the safest, which is what some people are saying, I'm sure others don't care. I'm not sure I'd really care. Uh, but just go to a, a theme park, go to an amusement park, jump on a few roller coasters and enjoy life and put the cell phone away. Uh, lose it for the night. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Time for the top five at five. Uh, first, there is still an ongoing search for the uh, submersible called the Titan uh, that was trying to uh, spend, a, I think, a day or so um, looking at the wreckage of the Titanic. Uh, it got lost uh, over the weekend. I think it uh, disconnected from um, the organization that was running that um, that trip within a couple hours, like an hour and 40-something minutes of first going into the water on Sunday. Uh, there's only about 20 hours of breathable air left. And so uh, there is still an ongoing search in multiple different countries, and a lot of uh, different um, um, ships are in the area and looking, uh, dropping sonar buoys as our friend uh, from the VFW, uh, the quartermaster there, Eric, who is a, a Navy uh, veteran, I was telling us is kind of the best way to, to locate it. But uh, that has still not been found as the search has expanded exponentially, according to some of the latest information uh, there. Um, and it's it's not something that's looking uh, very hopeful uh, for the people on that trip. Uh, kind of connected to that story and the top five at five is that a stepson of the billionaire who's on the um on the boat, on the sub uh, that's gone missing, I went to a Blink-182 concert the other night, and then that was all over social media. He said, quote, my family would want me to be at the concert uh, during a time where his um, where his family member is, is missing. The stepson of the billionaire who's right now lost at sea was like, yeah, Blink-182, I, I paid my tickets, I can't skip that. That is something else. And then to be um, defiant, sort of, uh, when people find out about it, uh, however people found out about it on social media, I don't think your family does want you to be there. Uh, that doesn't make any sense at all. All right. Uh, the biggest story in the world of politics over the last two days to me has been Trump sitting down with Fox. And I've been getting some angrier texts than I typically get. Uh, but feel free. I don't mind them. Continue them. Uh, 309-340-4464. 309-340-4464 is the number. The reason I'm talking about this is not to out Trump as a guy who made a horrible mistake and sat down with Fox like left-leaning media is trying to do it or trying to focus on and play uh, the moments in the conversation that were the weakest uh, for the former president because there are a lot of really strong moments uh, within this two-day conversation too. The reason I'm so fascinated by this and keep talking about it um, and probably will keep talking about it, is just how big the bleeps are on the former President Trump for doing this and how whether you hate him or you love him, whether everything he said in the two-day of interview is stuff that you believe and agree with wholeheartedly and think, yeah, way to go, way to say that thing to the powers that be, or whether you, you hate him and think that because he sat down with Fox News, he got a puff piece of a conversation, uh, which definitely is not what this is. It's just fascinating to watch because, as Trump pointed out in some of these back-and-forth conversations, uh, no former president has ever been indicted like this, has ever had people, um, you know, raid his home and do all the things they're doing here. And yet 
even though it would have been the advice of every single legal expert on his team or otherwise to avoid doing media, he did it anyway. It says something about the transparency. Again, uh, not saying that everything he's saying is true, uh, but the transparency of Trump compared to every other politician that's out there because they would refuse these conversations. And they've never had as much at stake as Trump does in the fact that the the end result of the case could send him to jail. And people are saying that he's already said, admitted, uh, which I definitely don't agree with. And I'll, I'll maybe play that audio uh, during this top five at five. But it's hard for me to talk about other topics uh, beyond this one because of how fascinating it is that Trump was willing to do this in the first place. Uh, here's one of the, the lighter or just interesting, but not necessarily headlining moments, headline grabbing moments. Uh, Trump used the nickname DeSanctimonious while talking about DeSantis. And then Brett Baer asked him why he uses that nickname. And he said that it's, it's easily because uh, DeSantis should be more loyal than he is. It's a federalist system. I told all governors, you do what you want. You can shut it down or not. Florida, by the way, he shut it down tight. No highways, no beaches, no this. But then pushed then he back pretty up. hard. He opened up. But is it fair to criticize him on that? Sure. He was credited for sure. how no, Florida dealt with COVID. He credit because he has better PR than other governors. But other <laughs> governors did a better job than Ron DeSanctimonious. So look. Why do you use that name? Because um, I got him elected. And I thought it was very disloyal when he said, yes, I'd run. I got him past two races. I got him past the primary because he was losing by 30 points or more. So he it's was a loyalty question? Him. Yeah, it's a loyal. I'm a big loyalist. You know, some people say, some people right here in this room have told me, sir, don't worry about loyalty. Loyalty doesn't mean anything in politics. I said to me, it does. I got the guy elected. He came to see me. Let's say weeping. <laughs> Because he was dead. He was getting out of the race. He was looking for jobs already, probably at law firms or wherever uh -huh. he's going to look. He was totally dead. He ran a horrible campaign. He was running against Adam Putnam, the uh, agriculture commissioner, who was running for that position for eight years. Yeah. Putnam had $38 million bank. Ron had nothing, zero. Putnam was at 40 percent. Ron was at 3 percent. It was like a wipeout. And Trump goes on to say that he eventually helped him win that race. And, and a lot of that is true. A lot of what Trump is saying there is easily verifiable as true. And as a guy that said on this radio station before that I, I preferred DeSantis and Fox News seems to have demonstrated a preference uh, for DeSantis, but I'm not a never Trumper, uh, which some people are. I wonder if DeSantis regrets running uh, literally right now, as polls say uh, that he is quite a bit behind Trump um, and certainly would have been someone who would have had an easier path, say, to being the the as long as he kept doing what he's doing in Florida, um, which I know a lot of liberal media uh, hates a lot and talks about a lot a very different way uh, than, say, conservatives do. Uh, but if he had just kept doing that for a few more years and let this whole thing happen uh, from the sidelines, he probably is the only true heir apparent um, to Trump on the conservative side of the aisle. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you can't know what the future holds. So maybe that's not true. Uh, but now uh, polls and other things are demonstrating that he's he's losing ground. Although there is one poll out there. I'll throw this out. And I'm sure that um, uh, people would say that it's, it's flawed somehow. Uh, but there is a, a public opinion strategies poll uh, that says that DeSantis would do better against Biden than Trump would do against Biden uh, right now. Now, granted, these polls are all over the place. And, and again, the reliability of, of many are questioned. Uh, but this is not a poll comparing Trump directly to DeSantis in every one of those. Uh, or basically every one of those, Trump is crushing DeSantis right now. Uh, it's only a one-off poll uh, talking specifically about conservatives running against uh, the, the current president and trying to say that
that DeSantis might be a better option there, which I, I don't know if I even uh, believe as much as I, I used to anymore, um, because for better or worse, love him or hate him, um, Trump is a guy who can grab attention, uh, media attention in ways that no one else can on either side of the aisle. And he uses that effectively. All right. One other thing I wanted to play um, as far as uh, Trump just talking about um, the vaccine uh, a little bit more and about how significant he was in getting the vaccine to the market and how it's not really a, a thing he talks about a lot now. Very candid. Uh, he even said that as a Republican, this is this is what the current leader on the Republican side of the aisle said. As a Republican, it's not something that we talk about a lot. And Brett Baer asked him why. And he sort of went on from there. How many politicians answer questions where they refer to their political party um, and that's why they're making a certain strategic decision out loud, honestly, like this, and then also go on to give you even more of the strategy behind it. Again, love him or hate him. This is unique. People don't do this uh, like Trump does this. Did the COVID vaccine work? It's a, such an interesting question because not only that, I also did the Regenerons of the world. You know, the whole well, we did a tremendous job on that. Uh, but we had a wet vaccine. Now, you have different. You have different COVIDs. You had COVID-19, and then you have different Strange. COVIDs. But we had a, original was COVID-19, which was the roughest one. So I have a Democrat friend who's very smart. Hopefully he votes for me, but he's very smart. He said, I don't understand one thing about you. I watch your rallies. They're incredible. You talk about beating ISIS. You talk about taxes. You talk about uh, regulation. You talk about everything. But you never saw said that I've never heard you talk about how the incredible job you did with the vaccines, because, as you know, I got them done in nine months and it was supposed to take anywhere from five to 12 years. I broke their ass. okay? (laughs) and you know who doesn't like me too much? The FDA, because they were very bureaucratic and I got it done. Yes. And here before I even let him continue, because there's more audio there that I want to play. And I know I'm playing a lot of this audio, but uh, all of that is true. Uh, Anyone out there right now. Uh, who is happy they got the vaccine as quickly as they got it and believe uh, that the vaccine is the biggest reason that uh, more people did not die of of COVID. The person you're supposed to thank for that, whether you hate it or not, is Trump for um, removing all the red tape to have the vaccine um, be created in the timeline it was created in. Uh, Granted, of course, the conversation about the vaccine shifted quite a bit. And I, I think, again, mostly because of mandates on it as opposed to any sort of creation part of it in the first place. I don't think anyone that's truly a conservative cares if someone, a complete stranger, someone they didn't know, uh, got a vaccine they chose not to get. I think what they all uh, cared about, the people who were vocal about this on the side that wasn't in news media as much, was that they themselves would be forced to make a decision they didn't want to make about their health. And so I think that that matters as far as the discussion goes. But here's a little bit more of this back and forth, because, again, I just find it fascinating uh, the candor on this topic and, and other topics uh, while you're facing federal uh, charges that could put you in jail. Uh, the choice to do this, a uh, reckless or genius, um, depending on your preference or your feelings about Trump, is just something we don't have in politics. And that's why I can't stop playing this stuff. And he said, you may have saved in the world throughout the world, 100 million people, and you never talk about it. I said, I really don't want to talk about it because as a Republican, it's not a great thing to talk about because for some reason, it's just not. For some reason? Yeah, for some reason, because people love the vaccines and people hate the vaccines. But conservatives aren't 
And, and I understand both sides of it, by the way. I understand both sides very well. What I didn't do is the mandates. The mandates and the vaccines don't go. And you had these governors mandated. Well, you did and the by Defense the way, Department. Ron DeSantis <laughs> had lines of people trying to get the vaccine. He set up whole things. You know, when I never saw a guy that could forget the past so quickly because the past wasn't that long ago. All right. Well, I, I would say that a lot of politicians and even uh, this uh, individual, even uh, former President Trump, can forget the past at times for sure. Uh, but again, just think about what he's saying uh, there in that moment. And how he's absolutely right that talking about the vaccine, I talk about it on this show. Uh, I've been accused of, of being a uh, ivermectin user uh, by at least a couple listeners, uh, which I never used ivermectin. I don't really get that insult at all. I think horse paste uh, was one of the insults. And there's been others. I get messages. I'm getting a lot of, I think, Trump supporter messages today that seem surprised I'm playing all this audio. Uh, but 309-340-4464, uh, feel free uh, to call in and contribute and, and um, text with me about any of this. This is Trump in his own words, uh, the things he's saying. And I, I think it's interesting that he would say, and I can go back and play that audio, he understands both sides, the people who are happy and the people who are unhappy about the vaccine and then how it was handled by the administration that wasn't his uh, once it was uh, created. So that to me is fascinating. That to me is a and, and I have to be honest. Let, let me say it this way. I don't mean to be preachy. This is going to be the most preachy thing I say on the show. If we shout this down, if we reject the existence of this, uh, we uh, being the people on the uh, left who I want Trump to embarrass himself and misrepresent some of the things he said, answers he gave as if it was definitive destruction of uh, Trump and his campaign, which it definitely was not. Uh, Trump definitely um, won uh, a lot of the moments within this back and forth conversation. And again, just for me, the willingness to have it is something that's that's something I want. Uh, but even the right, if the right rejects that Trump chose to do this, uh, that Brett Baer was unfair or, or you know, a jerk or I think someone actually accused Brett Baer of of getting questions from the government uh, to to try to trip up uh, Trump. If we, if we do all that, then we continue to get the politicians like Biden who refuse to talk to anybody and go hide in a basement. We don't want that. We want to hear from the people uh, that you are likely to vote for or likely not to vote for and gain more of their perspective, not that you have to believe everything they say, uh, but gain more of their pers perspective on the issues of the day. And there's no greater uh, issue uh, facing former President Trump right now than the um, the judicial um, attacks on him, the Justice Department uh, going after him the way they are. And he has done the least political thing any politician does by having an open and candid conversation with an organization that, yes, leans to the right in Fox News, but is openly hostile to him. And he called him out on it. He said this is a hostile interview. And it is. Uh, they have certainly demonstrated a lack of of uh, throwing their um, weight uh, behind Trump as far as a, a media organization goes. And he knew it and he's complained about them a lot. And he went on that platform anyway. This is definitively uh, a good thing. I'm not telling you what to think or who to agree with or disagree with. Uh, the fact that it exists is fascinating and, and good. All right. Uh, quick break. A lot more. I can't preach that enough. 1470. That's why it's most of the top five at five today. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, lots and lots of stuff to talk about. 
As I always say, let's do a little bit of good story, bad story. Uh, first, a guy in Wisconsin is in the news after making friends with a fish. Uh, this is something I talked about yesterday, uh, but I have some audio uh, for this story, too, and a whole video about it. Uh, he goes snorkeling in the same lake each summer, and a smallmouth bass he calls Elvis uh, has taken a liking to him, so they, they hang out and they get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, one other story, too, in the world of good story, bad story, because I, I have audio for both of these, and actually uh, the wrong one is in front of me, so let's go with that. A woman has uh, her 100th birthday coming up and gives great life advice that has gone viral. Uh, her name is Mildred. Uh, my grandmother is also named Mildred. I'll let this Mildred give you her advice for life. I have friends who are 20 years younger, 15 years younger, <laughs> and their attitudes are going to cause them not to survive to my age. Their attitude is they don't, I don't see my kids more than once a week. Or the food I was served was cold. If the food isn't quite right, have an extra dessert. If you hear from your children once a week, they call you once a week, you call them once a week. Change your attitude. I try my best not to sweat the small stuff and to have a positive attitude. That's amazing. Uh, That advice is amazing. I love the fact that uh, Mildred's biggest thing is, look, if your food is too cold, just have a second dessert and everything will be fine. Uh, Just go ahead and give that up. All right, we only got a little bit of time left, so I'll just move on to the bad story. Um, Someone was caught with meth, and they thought they had committed the perfect crime. Uh, This happened in Kansas. Uh, The person had sewn meth into their underwear. (laughs) And so then, you know, you're right there, Craig. Yeah, I don't know. You you get arrested and they look at the underwear and they're like, what's this really bad patch job over here? Oh, it's it's drugs. Uh, And the guy was like, man, you looked at my sewing patch in my uh, tidy whities. Yes, you were caught. uh, You were in trouble. Uh, Other bad things are probably going to happen in the world of your your criminal case here. But the guy, he tried to hide the underwear or the meth in the underwear. And I guess, um, you know, that's that's not a thing that works out. That's not a thing that you get get away with. To be fair, I think there's very rarely a good crime that happens with meth. (laughs) No, I'm sure there's not. I'm sure there's not a good place uh, to hide it. Meth causes a lot of really dumb mistakes from what I've heard. I'm sure it does a lot of it. But I, I can't even fathom like the taking the extra time to sew it, like get a sewing machine out and try to put it in the underwear and be like, no one will ever figure this out, or man. worse than that, you've just got to sit there and run the needle all the way through, and you keep right. running it and that's running right. it and running yeah, it. That's true. It's it's someone who does meth. They probably don't have the sewing machine. They just, they're doing it by hand. <laughs> it might not be using right. the needle either, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> all right, good talk. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. It seems like I'm making uh, some people uh, that usually like my show a little mad today, and I apologize for that, uh, but I'm not going to stop doing it um, because uh, playing the audio of Trump and Brett Baer um, is not for the reason uh, that some are uh, thinking of playing it. I'm not trying to embarrass Trump. I'm actually trying to praise him for sitting down and having a conversation uh, with a news organization, Fox, that if you're on the left, you think is definitely hardcore to the right and going to go do a puff piece uh, with Trump. And if you pay attention to Fox at all, I uh, know that it's kind of very adversarial, um, very much um, um, difficult for uh, a Trump. Um, and he said as much in the interview in a point that made me like fall over my chair uh, where he called them hostile. And uh, Brett Baer was being as challenging, as difficult, as hostile as you can be. So uh, praise um, all around in the world of that conversation and some of the things that were said. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I'm just fascinated by it because of the unique time in our lives we're in where a former president, any former president, has been indicted. And it definitely seems to be a political uh, in nature indictment by anyone 
also who's paying attention to those who are not getting indicted and not being treated um, the same way that Trump's being treated. And for him to still willingly sit down and, and have a conversation is something I can't get over. Um, this is sort of connected to that way of thinking, but it's not the Trump and Brett Baer thing. Uh, so, of course, anyone else that's also paying attention to political news has heard that Hunter Biden got a sweetheart deal. And then, well, if you turn on CNN or MSNBC or any left-leaning place, uh, they tell you that Hunter Biden got exactly what he's supposed to get. He was punished to the degree of the crime that he committed and not punished anymore. And how dare anybody say that it's a sweetheart deal compared to Trump? It proves that our system's fair across the board. Uh, that's what you're hearing on the left. However, um, a um, lawyer that represented rapper Kodak Black, uh, this is not a guy that's conservative. I think the guy's name is Bradford Cohen, a lawyer, and Kodak Black is a, a black rapper, um, said that this is definitely a sweetheart deal because his client, who only had one of the charges that Hunter Biden um, is going to wind up pleading guilty to, and they're not actually even having his record. He's going to get a program uh, that get rid, gets rid of his gun charge. Kodak Black went to jail for three years, uh, three years in prison for the exact same crime at 22 years old that um, the rapper um, committed that Hunter Biden is accused of committing, and he's even going to plead guilty to. Uh, surreal. And it reminded me of something, actually, and it, it's audio I want to play even though, again, it's also critical of Trump today. Uh, but it's John Stewart, so a lot of people will ignore it and not care because uh, John Stewart is definitely biased. I've said before I like John Stewart as a guy. I don't agree with any of his, his takes on stuff. Uh, but the reason I want to play this is I saw it. I didn't play it when it first came out. I didn't really care about it. Uh, but I saw it pop up a lot of places. I'm a millennial. I have a lot of left-leaning friends uh, that share a lot of left-leaning things in social media that I see because uh, they're my friends and it's social media. And this was making the rounds like crazy. Uh, this was Jon Stewart taking down uh, former President Trump, uh, totally shifting the gears uh, to a different thing, a different um, a crime that I think Trump actually admitted uh, committing, and then actually he wound up paying a bunch of money uh, back for it, um, for uh, using money, misusing foundation funds. Uh, Trump gave $2 million, I think, back for this. Um, but the, the take from Jon Stewart and the take I want to play is how it was evident that there was a two-tier system where the rich and powerful, the Trumps of the world, uh, get away with everything and everybody else gets in trouble for stuff if your name isn't Trump. And he did the exact same thing that the uh, lawyer for Kodak Black is now doing and being shouted down by some uh, in saying that other people who committed the same crime uh, that Trump committed went to jail for years for doing it. And again, this isn't even uh, literally anything that's actually a, a lawsuit we're discussing right now. It's not the Manhattan case. It's not the federal case against Trump. It's just it's just something else. Uh, but here's the John Stewart owned Trump moment that I'm not saying I agree with, but I'm playing very much for the intention of demonstrating how um, the left-leaning media or even like a John Stewart, a famous pundit guy, uh, can say one thing about one uh, case and then not use the exact same information uh, when it gets talked about by a lawyer who represented someone who went to jail for three years for one of the crimes, one of the crimes that Hunter Biden is going to plead guilty for uh, that's not all over the news and being discussed and still being rejected as a sweetheart deal. But here's the um, um, John Stewart audio so people don't think I'm making it up. Peace. Stole from his own charitable foundation. How much more could, what did he also nut punch a priest? Like, <laughs> how are non-Trumps punished for something like that? Well, some get two years in jail. Some get five years in jail. Some get 10 
years in jail. He put, um, by the way, since it's video and you can't see it because it's radio, he put little um, photos of the headlines to uh, articles in the news where people who were convicted of that wound up going to jail for a while. Now, Trump paid $2 million uh, for that that um, foundation fund misuse uh, case from a while ago uh, that New York actually also went after him for. Uh, but here's what's funny about that again. And Trump was actually uh, the president at the time. I think that happened back in 2019 uh, when that all occurred. Uh, but more important than anything else is that that exact argument viral all over my friends all sharing it being like, see, uh, the Trump form of justice is so unfair um, because he's being treated so differently and has been treated his whole life so differently uh, than anybody who's not named Trump. And now we have someone that stepped forward that said my client, uh, rapper Kodak Black, went to jail for three years and Hunter Biden is getting off scot-free. That's an unfair form of justice. And people that were so proud of the one uh, take are sitting there with their hands uh, crossed on their, their laps being like, well, uh, anyway, look away over here. I can't believe how many left-leaning platforms are saying that Hunter Biden's deal isn't a sweetheart deal. I'm actually like shocked by that. And I shouldn't be. Uh, these are things that we see all the time, that, that media is unfair and, and biased and all, all this sort of way. But like the glaringness of the the brokenness of the conversation, I don't think it's ever been this bad. I, I honestly don't think it's ever been this obvious to so many people that aren't hardcore politically on on one side or the other uh, that we have such a ridiculously, ridiculously biased uh, set of conversations. I, I don't know. Maybe it's the anger. Like even today, I'll say this. and I don't mean to attack my audience. I'm very happy. Uh, my audience texts me and contributes. And if you think I'm getting something wrong, I've told you. I text in and tell me I'm an idiot, and I'll have that conversation uh, with you via text, and I'm doing it uh, with people today. Um, but I will say that I, I'm, I'm playing audio uh, that you can shape as critical of Trump, and I'm seeing people send text in upset that I'm playing that audio of an interview Trump chose to give uh, to Fox in an interview in which I'm actually also praising Trump for being willing to give because it's the I think it's the biggest reason people vote for him is he's so atypical as a politician and does stuff that no, no other politicians do. I mean, even during covid and there were I remember a Chappelle joke uh, very well. And Dave Chappelle, not exactly a fan of Trump, although he doesn't hate him. Uh, but he made a joke about how during the covid press briefings, Trump would be answering questions. And you got the sense sometimes that he was just answering them, that he, the information he was providing wasn't uh, really the you know, crisp or, or clean version of information that you get from politicians. Uh, but to be honest, that was information that was probably at the time the things that were being discussed and the, the back and forth uh, versions of stuff. So what, what I think is so funny is defend or not all the all the uh, things that people uh, dislike about this politician or that politician, the way they carry themselves, the way they behave. One of the only things that we should all have uniformity on as people is that a willingness to talk is good and a lack of willingness to talk is bad. Uh, people who are like, no, I won't answer your questions. I won't discuss any of that with an ongoing investigation. There's there's never any good uh, that comes from that for anyone other other than the people who are hiding. And Trump is doing anything but hiding. So any of my textures today and thank you again uh, for the comments and the, the interactions. And I'll I'm happy to keep having them um, with you. Uh, and I can I can report the things you're saying on the air, too. Most of it is just that I'm wrong, that Trump, um, you know, is is uh, unfairly attacked by by Fox News or that Brett Baer is a, a giant piece of crap. I think is what one text was, uh, which is fine. I, I'm not even trying to defend him. I just think it's so interesting, again, uh, that we're at a, a 
time we've never seen before uh, for a politician as high ranking and significant as someone who's the leading candidate for the presidency. And that person is willing to do an interview that politicians wouldn't do if they were accused of, you know, an affair. Uh, there, no politician would sit down and have that conversation. And Trump is having this one. It's just it's it's unique to me. Um, but again, uh, just to go back to the last point I'm trying to make, and then we'll take a break and we'll come back. We'll do silly stuff and we'll get out of here uh, for the day. Um, I just I just was floored by the Biden, the Hunter Biden deal and how so many and I can play all the left leaning media. I pulled it all. I don't even want to play it. I keep saying it's not a sweetheart deal. The view Sonny Hostin said it the other day. It's proof that the system works and it goes after people equally. And Hunter is going to get no time in jail, uh, no likelihood of any sort of um, um, punishment whatsoever. And then actually his gun charge uh, for having a gun while also admitting to using things like cocaine um, is just going to disappear overnight. He's going to sign a paper, uh, do a program, and it's like he never got charged with it in the first place. Yeah, that's not at all a sweetheart and unfair deal. Who's ever saying that? is is playing a game that the system wants you to play uh, that is not helping you. It's not making your politicians any better than the other people because you're forgiving your politicians for the worst of mistakes that they're making. All right, quick break, a lot more, 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Like I said, uh, silly to end the show coming up next. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, thank you to everybody who texted the show, even if you don't agree with me. I welcome it, 309-340-4464. Uh, one texter asked me why I didn't read uh, their text on air, uh, where they asked me if I was straight or gay. Uh, and they're like, why don't you read my text on air? Well, <laughs> I interview my wife all the time in this station, so I don't, I don't know where the question is coming from. I'm sure you're trying to insult me in some way, but, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say. But I'll read it. I'll say it on the air if that's what you want. Uh, there we go. Uh, done. Move on. Other stuff. I think this is kind of funny. Uh, men's health is being made fun of because in their last issue of their magazine, they use the word gynosexual. And apparently gynosexual is a new term uh, that people want you to use to be, quote, more inclusive. Uh, and it's talking about people who are attracted to women or femininity. You want to use the term gynosexual. Uh, now, <laughs> I can't make it through this without laughing. Here, That's the problem with all of the, the woke stuff that's out there is changing perfectly um, usable terms and things that work OK and are not broken. If I'm a guy and I'm attracted to women, I can say I'm straight. I don't need to say I'm a gynosexual. That makes no sense. No one's going to do it. Uh, these seem like silly fights to be having. Uh, but it's the latest moment where people are now mocking a magazine and its attempt to be uh, ultra woke, ultra inclusive. And even actually Fox News, I think, had a deep dive into how John Hopkins uh, had defined some of these terms in the first place. And then they get adopted other places. And then someone reads it. And I'd probably like read it like six times and keep looking at be like, What's a gynosexual? Am I one? Of, I am one of those, uh, by the way. And so our texter knows who asked me the question. Uh, no, I am, in fact, uh, a straight guy uh, who uh, likes women. And that's apparently gynosexual now. I don't I don't get it. I don't know what the I don't even know what the fight is about, to be honest, some of the times. If I don't use those words and then some calls me hateful for not using them, I don't even know what we're debating uh, anymore. I get very confused. Uh, other stuff out there. I like this. Uh, restaurants can, quote, trick you into spending more money if they have a good social media. Uh, 2,000 adults were surveyed and asked questions about how they pick restaurants to go to. Um, and especially if you're younger, you go on social media or you find uh, menus online and you look at items. And if these companies are doing a good job of highlighting their most expensive dishes, apparently it causes a, a higher purchase 
of those things. If you have a Facebook or Instagram or something else and you're seeing a lot of interaction with it, uh, the likelihood of someone coming in, not even really looking at the rest of the menu and just buying the expensive thing they saw online is a way to, quote unquote, trick you into spending more money. I think it's just genius and smart. And actually, I've done that a few times. I remember there was a, um, a salmon dish that looked awesome that I saw on Instagram. And I took Betty there because she loves fish. And we just we did exactly what this article says. We walked in, didn't even look at the menu. I ordered, uh, I think, chicken and she had the salmon and I saw them both in line. And I think one of them was a more expensive dish. But whatever, uh, we wanted the thing we saw. So uh, that's a way to, quote unquote, trick you into spending more. I love this story a lot. Uh, a brand new, quote, duct tape bikini. <laughs> There's a whole brand that makes these, apparently. They had a, a fashion show recently. Um, shows off more than they intend. Uh, the runway debut of the duct tape bikini brand. Uh, the brand is, um, I don't even know where, um, Art Body Tape is what they're calling it. Miami Art Body Tape. Uh, but it is it is uniquely revealing because it is, in fact, tape that people are putting on their bodies and then calling those swimsuits. Uh, this is great. And there's even one viral photo of a woman who's got, I'll just describe it to you, a tape on the chest area, on the other, uh, the bottom area, uh, the part that I guess a, a gynosexual is interested in, and then actually over her eyes. Uh, the third part is tape over her eyes, so she has to be walked down the runway by someone else. I don't know why you do that as the third part of a bikini. You know, you cover up the two spots that get you in trouble if you're not wearing anything on those uh, parts of your body, and then you blind yourself in the process. Uh, fashion is weird. I don't understand it. Uh, one last one. I like this story, too. There's a new high-tech Band-Aid out there uh, that may help you heal from chronic wounds. It may diagnose you with stuff if you put it on your body. 6.7 million people in the United States suffer from a chronic uh, issues that uh, this Band-Aid could even help with, things like ulcers or even a surgical wound. And so uh, people are hoping that you spend a, a crap ton more money on a um, computerized version of a Band-Aid that you would then wear on your person for a few days before still throwing out. Uh, the electric stimulation of the wounds, it says here, or the electrotherapy of the wounds promotes healing uh, by helping uh, certain immune cells uh, to, you know, do more than if you don't have it. But being electrocuted by tiny little expensive Band-Aids feels like something that's unlikely to catch on uh, for a lot of us in society. But maybe something that is used for those more chronic things uh, where you go to the uh, doctor's office, you have a surgery or something, and they let you leave with a, a just slightly shocking you Band-Aid. I don't know.